Thank you so much for being here tonight. Are you visiting with us from a sister congregation? Thank you for coming. You will not get in trouble for doing that. Jim will write you an excuse. So you're all right. If you're visiting from the community, thank you so much for being here. And let me say this. The same truths that you've heard me preach, Jim will preach every Lord's Day. Same glorious truths. So come back. Make it a regular practice to be here. Bring your Bibles and check out that which is taught. To the elders here, thank you so much for inviting me to come. I'm so proud Don Blackwell couldn't make it so I could come. <laughs> I held a meeting where he preaches just a few months ago. Really enjoyed being with Don. Love and appreciate him so very much. But I am proud he couldn't make this one so that I could be here. And I'm proud I got better health-wise so that I could be here. Let me say this. you got a great eldership. Love them. Respect them. Stand behind them as long as they do that which is right. you got a great preacher. Jim Dearman. His wife Janice. Let it be a love affair between this congregation and the Dearman family. When I was here, it was truly a love affair between this congregation and myself. And I loved it so very much and appreciate it. I've never preached at a congregation where I felt like I was loved more or appreciated more than the White Oak Church of Christ. You're a great congregation. Thank you for helping us at school. There could be no Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development without people like you. And we appreciate it so very much. Let me just say this about the Arise to Truth radio program. We know of over a hundred that have been converted as a result of the program, five of whom are denominational preachers. But that's not the whole story. We have these preachers call us, Wesley, would you come and meet with us? We want to have a meal with you at Shoney's. Bring Eddie, if you would. Now, any time they invite more than one speaker, we get a little nervous, you know, because some of these people don't like us. And so we always want to make it a very public place when we meet with them. Do you know we've had preacher after preacher meet with us and tell us this? We know you got the truth. We've listened to you for years. And we know that what you're teaching is right. And we say to them then what you need to do is to become a child of God. Well, I want to, but I can't yet. i got to try to lead more of the people out where I am to the glorious truth. And we say to them, that is something to be admired, but you can't wait and do that. You have no promise of tomorrow. You need to come out now and be the good example that you ought to be to them and let them ask you why you left. A uh, United Pentecostal preacher got to listening to the program. He told his wife, that's the dumbest stuff I ever heard in my life. I can't believe those guys. I'm going to study my Bible, and I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to call them, and I'm going to let them know they're wrong. So every day on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they drove at the same time 
that our program was on to pick up their son at school. The wife said one day to him, how you doing on proving those guys are wrong? Well, not so good. The more I study, the more I realize that they're telling us the truth. He obeyed the gospel of Christ. He, his wife, son. And the members came over to his house from the United Pentecostal Church to beg him to come back. He said, man, I'd love to come back. I really would. But I can't because you won't let me teach the truth there. Now, if you want to be with me, you're going to have to do what I did. You're going to have to get out of a man-made church and become a member of the church about which you can read in the Bible. This man has written tracts. He's preaching. He's standing tall for the truth. Let me tell you something, brethren. There's a lot of honest people out there. It's your job and mine to go find them. That's what the radio program's all about. It's what something is wrong, the Bible is right, is all about. It's what good news is all about. It's what this congregation is all about. And that's what we've got to be doing. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. What does eternity hold for you? I want you to think about this from the time that you were conceived in your mother's womb, there'll never be a time when you'll cease to exist. You're that much like God. He made you in His very image. Now, I can kind of get a little handle on eternity, even though it's hard. As I think about from this point forward, I can kind of handle that. How something that's right now can always be. I have more trouble on going the other way. How that someone like God has always been. So, well, where did God get started? Where did he come from? God holds within himself the secret of self-existence. That's amazing. He's always been. God is what we call a non-contingent being. We're contingent, which means that our existence, existence is dependent upon someone else, namely God. God's existence is not dependent upon anyone. He is so wonderful and almighty that within, within himself, he has the ability to always be. That's hard to get a handle on, isn't it? To understand that. But that's the truth of the matter. Look at this little poem about eternity. Count the grains of sand on the beach. Count the stars, one in each. Count the blades of grass on planet Earth. Count the heartbeats of everything given birth. Count all the snowflakes which have covered the ground. Count the drops of rain wherever they are found, and when you're done, eternity has just begun. Now I want you to think about that. What if God just gave you one beach, Daytona Beach, and told you, I want you to go down there and count the grains of sand. To start with, when you pick it up, you have to kind of dust off all the extras and come down to just one. There's one. There's two. 
And when you get up to a million and you look at Daytona Beach, it looks like you've not picked up any. Now, think about all the beaches upon the face of the earth and all the grains of sand. Why, that's nothing compared to eternity. Count all the stars, one in each. You know, used to they thought the stars could be numbered. Not anymore. There's so many they can't number them. And what about the blades of grass on planet earth? What about just in your yard? We ask that all we want you to do is go home and count the blades of grass in your yard. Now I have a pretty small yard where I live now. We gave up five acres. We got tired of mowing that stuff. And so we got a smaller yard. And so then I'd hate to go out there though in our small yard and count every blade of grass. We recently, the last year, bought a piece of property on Highway 91. And my wife and I had to go up there and mow it every week. I'd hate to count those blades of grass for sure. It's a bigger lot. What about the heartbeats of everything that's been given birth? When I was in the hospital, I looked over at some of the family members and I said, uh, what's my heartbeat? It's 30. 30? It can't be 30. I said, look again. They looked up there. Oh, no. No, no, it's 75. I said, that's more like it. <laughs> you know, because I wanted to be alive, you know, if it's dropping that much. Now, you think about, let's just say 70 heartbeats a minute times 60 to get an hour. And look at how many times your heart beats every hour. Multiply that by six and a half billion just to get the people on the earth. And then multiply that by all the animals that are alive. What if you had to count all those? Well, when you do all of this, eternity has just begun. Count all the snowflakes which have covered the ground. I love to watch it snow. My mother loves snow. She used to make that good old snow cream. And there's nothing better than that snow cream that she made. It was great. Well, how would you like to count those flakes as they're falling? I hate it when it snows at night and I don't get to watch it. Because I love to see it snow. Isn't it amazing the beautiful things that God has given us? That we take for granted the sunrise, the sunset, the snows, the different seasons. All that given to you by God. He didn't have to do that. All the beautiful flowers, the different colors. He did that for you and me. He wanted this place to be beautiful as we make our decision about eternity. And all we could go, think about the drops of rain. Man, how would you like to have counted all of the drops of rain during the flood? Now that would kind of keep you busy trying to count them. Well, if you could count all of this, it's nothing compared to eternity. Eternity has just begun. It's hard for you and me to get a good handle on eternity. But now watch what the Bible says about God. In Psalm 91 and 2, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Man, you just think about God has always dwelt in eternity. 
You and I, we're dwelling right now in time. And because we deal with time, it's hard for us to pick up on the concept of eternity. Watch Isaiah 57, 15. For thou hast saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. What do you do, God? I inhabit eternity. And so God is out there in eternity. But now we're wondering what eternity holds for you. What does eternity hold for me? Since you're going to always be, are you going to be happy? Are you going to be sad and in torment? Or could it be said about you and me, it would have been better had we never been born? That's what was said about Judas Iscariot. Notice Mark 14, 21. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Watch it. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Folks, if I'm lost come judgment day, it would have been better for me if I would have never been born. If you're lost come judgment day, it would have been better for you if you would have never been born. Now some try to say Judas Iscariot was still saved. Well, why did the Lord say it would be better if he had never been born? Even if he betrayed the Lord and went to heaven, man, that's wonderful. Peter betrayed the Lord. The other apostles did. Now if they go to heaven, they're going to be the winner. In Acts one twenty-five. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell. That he might go, watch it, to his own place. Not to the place that was prepared for him, John 14, 1-3. But he's going to his own place. He made his own choice. And then watch this verse in John 17, 12 that comes right out and says he's lost. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The Bible says Judas was lost. Therefore the Lord said it had been better for that man had he never been born. Now I challenge you to go home and read Matthew 10. The limited commission. The apostles are listed there, including Judas Iscariot. They went forth and by the power of the Holy Spirit worked miracles, Judas included. They had the Holy Spirit read the entire chapter, including Judas Iscariot. But because he did not continue to be faithful, he's lost. And it would have been better for him had he had never been born. What about the rich man in Luke 16, 19 and following? In verses 22 and 23. And, I came, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. 
Here's a man that while on earth, matter of fact, Abraham said, when you were on earth, you had your good things. Lazarus, his evil things or bad things. But now it has switched. Lazarus is the winner, and the rich man is the loser. Now concerning this rich man, since he's lifted up his eyes in torment, it would have been better for him had he never been born. Because he's lost. What does eternity hold for you? Can it be said of you? Can it be said of me? It would have been better had we never been born. You see, there is a coming of our Lord out in the future somewhere. Second coming. There is a resurrection that's going to take place and a changing of bodies. And there is a judgment. We've looked at all of that this week. But then what about the final outcome? What does eternity hold for you? Now watch this. As we think about life. When one is born, a little baby, he's just as innocent as he can be. I realize there are those in the religious world that teach that little babies are born in sin. If that's right, little baby Jesus was born. Was he born in sin? I always ask them that. They don't know what to do with baby Jesus. The Catholics tried to clean up Mary of any actual sin or inherited sin, call it the immaculate conception, so that baby Jesus would not inherit sin. Well, you don't have to worry about that because all babies are born innocent. Now, what if the little baby dies? The little baby goes to paradise. Well, what if the little baby becomes accountable and commits sin? Then, out in the world with sinners. Two choices. Stay there, die and go to Tartarus. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Or get out of the world, obey the gospel of Christ, and be a member of the Lord's church. Once you're here, you've got two choices. You can be faithful and die and go to paradise. Or you can become unfaithful and be lost and go to Tartarus. Once you're in one of these departments in the Hadean realm, there's a great guff fixed between the two so that these individuals cannot switch from one side to the other. Now notice, if you will, 2 Peter 2.4. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, the word is Tartarus. That's not Gehenna hell, and it's not Hades. It's this section of the Hadean realm. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Those that die lost are going to be reserved until the judgment. Those who die living right will be happier than they've ever been. Be conscious, just like over here they're conscious. And they will await the judgment. Well, now comes the accounting state. We talked about that last night. When the Hadean world will be emptied and all will stand before the Son of God and be judged according to their deeds. 2 Corinthians 5 verse number 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're all going to stand there. We proved that last night. We're all going to give an account for the way that we have lived. So, what does eternity hold for you? 
Are you going to be on the bad side or the good side come judgment day? Are you going to be on the right hand or the left hand? Are you going to be a goat or a sheep? Then you got the eternal phase. After the judgment, those who are living ungodly will be sent to a devil's hell. The Greek word is Gehenna. Those that are living right will get to go to heaven. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, Matthew 7, 23. In Matthew 25, 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. In Luke 13, 28, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and ye yourself uh, thrust out. So the eternal phase of the kingdom is here. Are you going to be in the eternal phase? Are you going to be in the eternal phase of Gehenna? Which way is it going to be? If I can get this to advance. In Matthew 25, 34, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I know that you've had many good things said of you, and that's great. And you, no doubt, have been rewarded in many ways. All of us have. I remember as a young man playing baseball and softball. I was a good first baseman with a glove and also with a bat. And I would go to the banquets when they were getting ready to announce the all-star team. And when they said, starting at first base, that got my attention. And for years, I was the only first baseman chosen. They'd call my name. What a thrill to hear that name. I'm going to start at first base. But I tell you what, there's going to be something greater that I want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of my Father, which was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now friends, if I don't hear that, eternity is going to hold a lot of terrible things for me. If you do not hear that, eternity is going to hold a lot of terrible things for you. How are we to live? Now we've talked about this universe being destroyed. We have talked about how that all of this is going to be brought to an end. But I want you to watch the word of God relative to this. In 2 Peter 3, and that's a great chapter to read relative to this subject. Verses 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Now if you believe that. That all of it's going to be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. If you really believe this world's going to be brought to an end. How are you to live? The Bible says you're to live a very godly life. Watch it as we go on. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire 
shall be dissolved. Notice the heavens are going to be dissolved too. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens, new earth. Every time you see that in the Bible, it's a new beginning. We're looking for a new beginning. We're looking for life over there. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. How ought I to live, brethren, if I really believe that the heavens and the earth are going to be destroyed and there's going to be a judgment and I'm going to give an account for the way that I live. The Bible tells me how I better live. Same way here. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Talking about body-wise. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, if I'm really going to be like the Lord, if I really believe that, I'm going to see him as he is, how ought I to live? Watch it. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You see, if I really believe in the second coming, and the world's going to be destroyed, the Bible says there's a certain way I ought to live. To be ready for that. What does eternity hold for you? What does it hold for me? Now, in view of the fact you have people at different levels. You have good moral people that die that are not members of the church. You have some very ungodly people like Hitler. Ted Bundy. Who died. Is God going to be fair in judgment and there be degrees of punishment? Let me put it this way. Do you believe judgment day, if you're lost, you ought to receive the same punishment that Satan's going to receive? Why, no. You don't believe that and I don't believe that. Satan ought to receive the greatest degree of punishment of all. Now, what we're going to show you is the fairness of God in all of this. God is going to take into consideration how you live. Even how you ought to be punished if you're lost. Now do not misunderstand me. If you're lost and you get the least degree of punishment possible, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be torment. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't want to be lost, period. But watch this. In Luke 12, 42 through 44, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath, but, and if that servant say in his heart, and here's what many people say, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him. That's the way the Lord's coming back, as a thief. And at an at a hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, 
and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now notice the Bible then says, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Did you get that, brethren? You know the Lord's will. I know the Lord's will. What if I say, no, thank you. I'm not going to obey you, Lord. And here's a guy down in Africa that never heard of Jesus. We both die. I'm not going to be judged the way he's going to be judged. I'm going to be judged more severely. I knew what to do and chose not to do it. Now both are going to be lost. Don't misunderstand me. Both will be lost because one cannot be saved unless he obeys the gospel. But watch this. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of the same much is required. Now let me tell you something. I said it last night and I'm going to show it again on a chart. You can't afford to go to hell from America. You can't afford to go to hell, Period. But you think God's not going to hold you accountable more so than people in a third world country that don't even own a Bible? Never heard the sweet name of Jesus? What does eternity hold for you? What does eternity hold for me? Now notice, I read this last evening to demonstrate there's going to be comparative judgment. I, I tell you, when you look at the fairness of God, even at the judgment, what Jesus is going to do, he looks at what opportunities this place had as compared to this place and said, look, they didn't have the same opportunities as you, so it's going to be more tolerable for them judgment day than for you. See, the Lord God Almighty is totally fair. He's not going to hold the fellow down in Africa that never owned a Bible or never heard the sweet name of Jesus as accountable as he's going to hold you and me. Notice the Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty one through 22, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, let me ask you this. Did the Lord tell the truth? That if these things really had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented rather than being destroyed? Absolutely. He has the awesome ability to project one out of this scene into another scene and know exactly what they would have done. That's the fairness of God. That's how the judgment is going to be totally fair and upright. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. That's the bottom line. Watch this. We read this. And thou, Capernaum, and by the way, Jesus, as I mentioned last night, born in Bethlehem, reared in Nazareth, and lived in Capernaum, based on what the New Testament tells us. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven. Why? Because heaven's greatest gift was living there. Shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were 
which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. Did he tell the truth? Absolutely he told the truth. He would have seen people in Sodom start to straighten up and he would have saved the place. That's what he's telling us. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Notice there's going to be toleration for some and not others because of opportunities. We've had too many opportunities, brethren. What does eternity hold for you? What does it hold for me? Now, I want you to notice we got some who have begun to say that hell is nothing but annihilation. We got a few in the brotherhood that's begun to teach that. It's totally false. Watch these verses. Hebrews 8, verse uh, 10, verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall ye be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. How much sore, worse, a greater degree of punishment shall you receive who've had greater opportunities you have taken the very blood of Jesus Christ and walked all over it. You mean to tell me you're not going to be punished more? God says you better believe you're going to be punished more. And it counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and it done despite under the spirit of grace. Brethren, you and I can't walk all over God, Christ, the Holy Spirit and truth without receiving a sore punishment than the fellow that's never heard of God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and truth. That's what the Bible's telling us. There's a greater damnation for some people according to the Bible. In Matthew 23, 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Oh, you come across as religious as loving me, as putting me first, and look at the way you're treating your fellow man, you shall receive a greater damnation because of that. James 3, 1, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, a lot of people pick a Bible up and go out and start teaching, and they have no idea what's in the Bible. Think of all these denominational preachers teaching the wrong plan of salvation and assuring the people, you come to the mourner's bench, you pray the sinner's prayer and the Lord will forgive you. Nowhere in the Bible. It can't be found in the Bible. But they are giving people a false hope. The Bible says people like that will receive a greater damnation. When one stands before an audience like this, he better think seriously about what he's going to tell that audience. It better be based upon a thus saith the Lord, not opinion. In 2 Peter 2, 20 through 21, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness that after they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. 
John Sis converted me, an early member of the church, and I can remember asking John about this. I said, John, what does it mean that the latter end is worse than the beginning? He illustrated it this way, and I thought it was a pretty good illustration. He said, Wesley, you and I, we understand air conditioning. We have air-conditioned homes, buildings, and we enjoy that when it's 110 outside. We can be in a home that's 70 degrees and be very comfortable. But let's say you and I go to Africa. We go over there on a safari and we have a guide. He's never been in an air-conditioned building, period. And the three of us go out and it's 120 degrees. All oh, the heat's beating down upon us. You and I, we're burning up. He's used to it. That's all he knows. He does it every day. But you and I get to thinking about that air conditioning, air conditioned home, our building, and how we'd like to be there. You see, he doesn't know about it. He says, now you compare that to spiritual things. A person that was a Christian and knows about the glory of heaven and what's there and winds up in hell and now he's thinking about all that he's missed. The latter end is worse than the beginning. So John illustrated it that way. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. We use these verses quite often on a rise to truth and we expose once saved, always saved. And a man called in and says, what in the world has a puking dog got to do with falling from grace? And that's the way he put it. A puking dog. Well, I'll tell you about that puking dog. I want you to notice, and if you're a country boy like me, you've seen this. I've seen it. A dog that's sick throws up and then takes back the very thing that corrupted him and made him sick. That's a snapshot of an unfaithful child of God. He got rid of that sin. And then what does he do? He takes it back. And here's a sow that was washed. Say you're going to enter her in the fair. And, and you, she's just as clean as she can be. Got a blue ribbon on. Man, she looks good. Well, I don't know that a pig can look good. But let's say she looks good. And you take her down and she's judged and she wins the blue ribbon. You bring her back home, and what does she do? She goes right back out in the mire. Waller's in the mire. So she got rid of that filth and then took the filth back. That's a snapshot of an unfaithful child of God. Now, watch the proverb. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so, is a, so a fool returneth to his folly. Here's a, here's a person that got rid of his folly. And then what does he do? He returns to it. That's the proverb, and that's what God wants you and me to learn, and that's Proverbs 26, 11. Well, what are the degrees of punishment, Wesley? I don't know all of them. I know some of them, I think. One thing you're going to have in hell, and I'm going to have in hell, is memory. You know, the Abraham told the rich man, remember. He wanted him to remember the way it used to be. Remember, thou once had thy good things, Lazarus his evil things. If I go to hell, I'll think about all the wonderful truths I knew that could have kept me out of there. I'll think about all the invitation songs I've heard sung, and I didn't make my, my life right. 
I'll think about you, how you made it and I didn't. I'll think about the beauty of heaven that I've read about in the Bible, but I missed it. Oh, the mind will torment us in a devil's hell. And then I can remember that I was once faithful and gave that up and like the old sow went back to wallowing in the mire. And I can think about how I could have helped others, but I chose not to. The rich man who lifted up his eyes in torments got concerned about doing personal evangelism. He wanted something done about his five brethren. Well, if he'd have lived right, while on earth, he could have done something about his five brethren. But you see, he became concerned about personal evangelism too late. You and I don't want to do that. We want to help people now. Talking about helping others. I didn't realize when I became a child of God what that really meant. Elva and I were the first ones to become members of the church on each side of our families for years that we know anything about. Now there's a bunch of us. See, I didn't realize how important a decision that was going to be. I didn't realize it was going to be so important that our little 32-year-old daughter was going to die, but she died a faithful member of the church. I didn't realize when I obeyed the gospel how important that was. Now, I knew it was important for me. But see, it's not just important for me. It's important for other people that I might be able to help along the way. Then I'm going to realize that pleasure is not worth it. Now, the Bible says, Hebrews 11.25, there's pleasure in sin. And all of us understand that because we've done sinful things that were pleasurable. I've been working on a sermon over in the motel room about my temporary baggage. I got a lot of temporary baggage and so do you. This old body's temporary baggage. One day I'm going to be able to lay it aside and get a good one. But this is temporary. Temptation is temporary baggage. When I die, one of the things I want to be thinking about, if I'm conscious, is I'm fixing to get out of temptation. I'm fixing to go to a place where the Satan won't be, and I won't be tempted. Marriage, and I don't mean this in a bad way, is temporary baggage. Now what I mean by that, and I, wanted to use the, I want to use the word sex, because it's only in marriage that that beautiful language can be spoken. Marriage is honorable in all, in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Hebrews 13, 4. I want you to notice the marriage comes before the bed. Marriage is honorable in all, in the bed undefiled. We've got a lot of people in America shacked up. they got the bed before the marriage. But they're called whoremongers and adulterers, and God will judge them according to that verse. But I said all this to say this. Let's say that I run after every woman I can chase. I die. And on life's other side, no sex. I gave my soul for that which won't even be on life's other side. Let's talk about material things. There's some temporary baggage. Now I've got to have a few bucks to pay for my home, my car, for food, and quite a few bucks to pay for gasoline to get my car to work. 
you know how those things are going. But on life's other side, I won't need a dollar at all. And you mean to tell me I'm going to miss services here? And I'm going to go out here and work, be a workaholic, and go to hell over making a few extra bucks? What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would man give in exchange for his soul? What does eternity hold for you? What does it hold for me? See, there's a lot of temporary things we're wrapped up in right now. And you mean to tell me we're going to get wrapped up in those temporary things and go to hell because we're all wrapped up in that which is temporary? Come on, brethren. We've got to use our heads. Then I want you to notice that we will have lost the fellowship of the saints and of God. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, destroyed from the presence of God and from his glory and power. Man alive. You mean to tell me after I've seen the beautiful appearance of the Lord in the clouds, and then I hear those words, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I'll never see him again. How terrible that would be. We don't want to do that. And then there's several verses, and I showed you some of them, that indicates that you can see who's going into eternal bliss. And how terrible it would be for me to see all of you make it. And me myself cast out. That would be terrible. That torment me in all eternity. And then knowing the beauty of heaven, what the Bible says about it. We sing the song, how beautiful heaven must be. And we haven't begun to touch the hem of the garment on that either. Well, we're Americans, and we've had too many opportunities. And I'm telling you, we better consider any sin in our lives and get rid of it. If we really want to go to heaven, even those secret sins, we better use our talents. I could have used just Matthew 25, where the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is likened to, you remember those ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, five did not continue to stay prepared. Then the guy with one talent that was lost because he didn't develop that talent. Then people who saw individuals that were hungry, naked, in prison, sick, and did nothing to help them along the way. See, you and I, we've got to make sure we do that which is right. Use our Bibles. We better use them. Not just have them laying around the house. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Then use our time wisely. The Bible says redeeming the time. Folks, if I live to be 70, I got three and a half years left. I'm running out of time. If I live to be 80, which most men don't, I got 13 and a half years left. That's all. You know, if you think about it as a clock, and midnight you're gone. I'm at least at 10.30, maybe a little further along. And that's the way it is with many of us. Closer to our death, closer to the judgment than we've ever been. So we better redeem the time. Using wisely our material goods, what we give to God on the first day of the week is wonderful, but do you know the rest of it belongs to Him also? And we're to use it wisely. Realizing our lives will be compared with others' judgment day. 
I've shown you that verse after verse. Here is John the Baptist that died for truth. Here is Stephen that died for truth. Here's James that died for truth. And then I quit the church because you didn't speak to me. I'll stand next to them come judgment day. I can't come to services because it's raining outside, but I'll sit outside and watch Tennessee play Alabama in a driving rainstorm. And then I come here and open a songbook and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Hogwash. You can't convince me of that. I know you can't convince God of that. And then opportunity plus ability equals responsibility. If we dug up all of the unused talents in the Lord's church and put them to use, we could turn this whole world upside down. What if I got up here and said to you, you know, I've looked you over since I've been here this week and there's not a talent in this bunch. Why, it would offend you, and rightly so. But you know, when somebody comes and asks, will you teach a Bible class? Oh, I can't teach a Bible class. Will you go with me to help do personal evangelism? Oh, I, I can't do that. I have no ability along that line. Well, will you go with me to help deliver some food to some people? I'm not good at that either. I just can't talk to people. I bet you can talk to them about your grandchildren or your own children. You see, we make all the excuses we want to make to try to get out of using our ability. Then we get only one chance at this, folks. This is it. What does eternity hold for you in view of the way you're using that one chance? We must be faithful. What does eternity hold for you? You're making that decision. I'm making that decision. Or to put it another way, you're preaching your own funeral, your own destiny, your own eternity. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian and you know you're in trouble as far as going to eternity, you're not ready. The Bible tells you what you've got to do to become a child of God. You've got to hear the word of God. Romans 10, 17, put your faith in Jesus. John 8, 24, repent of your sins. Luke 13, 3, confess Christ before men. Matthew 10, 32, 33, be baptized in order to be saved. Mark 16, 16, be faithful even if you've got to die for your faith, Revelation 2, 10. That's how important being faithful is. It's more important than your life. You ever thought about that? Being faithful is more important than your life according to God. And if you have to die for your faith, God will take care of you. You'll be all right. Just like John the Baptist just like Stephen, just like James, the Apostle Paul, and others. If you're here not a Christian, we'd like to encourage you to become one. If you're, you are a Christian, but you know eternity is not looking in a very favorable way because you're not faithful, you're lukewarm, you're cold, you're indifferent, it's time to repent and come back home as together we stand and sing.